to all of you. Can we all just say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays, right? Can we just say Merry Christmas, right? Let's just emphasize the Christ there, just to rub it in the face of whatever. <laughs> this morning, we're gonna be in, in uh, our fifth and final message in this series we've been doing called Living Stones. So we'll end it here today. And um, part of the reason is because next week, we will not be gathering here as a church for our Chris, you know, for Christmas. So um, next Sunday, which will be Christmas Eve, we will not gather here. If you show up here, you're welcome to stay in the parking lot and do whatever you want to do. But uh, let me just tell you, please hear me on this. Um, we are a discipleship church. And what we don't ever want is people to be overly dependent on this building or, or the staff here at this place. Because I don't know about you, but I'm more interested in God in my living room than in the auditorium, amen? And so when we do these, when we have these times where we don't gather as the church, I encourage you to gather as the church at your house. And we don't take the day off, that would be a great time to gather around with your family, worship the Lord, open the word together, uh, spend some time in prayer. And so I encourage you to take advantage of next week to minister to the Lord from your living room. So that'll be Christmas Eve. And then uh, the following Sunday is, is New Year's Eve. That's uh, December 31st. Uh, we will be here. We will have service on New Year's Eve. A couple of cool things will be happening there. One is we're gonna be baptizing people. And um, I just think that's cool at the, kind of at the beginning of the year to start it out with baptism, right? And so far we've got about 17 people signed up to be baptized. So if you want to get in on that and be baptized, um, Jade will, uh, as she closes the service, will give you instructions on how to, how to do that. You can still get registered. Also on New Year's Eve, um, we'll be kind of sharing where, what we feel like God is saying for our church in 2024. So we'll kind of be giving some vision and direction of where God's bringing us. And then, of course, that will lead into our Monday nights of prayer during the month of January. So that's a little calendar of what's happening here at Victory. But we'll be finishing our series here today, Living Stones. The, um, the series was really wrapped around the idea that, that what God wants to do in the earth today, he wants to do through his people. We are his body. When he wants to touch, he uses these hands, right? When he wants to go, he uses these feet. We are the stones, the raw material in which God is building his kingdom. How many of you say, yes, Lord, I wanna partner with you. Use me um, to, for your kingdom purposes. Well, turn with me in the book of Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been discussing the tabernacle. Uh, we've actually been looking at things that were constructed in the Old Testament and finding application for us today. I tell people when I counsel them, Every example I use will be a construction example because I'm just that simple. I've done a lot of construction in my life, so a lot of, they're either hunting examples or, or, or construction examples. That's just how I work. And so we've been looking at things that were built in the Old Testament and finding application for us today. We've been talking about the tabernacle. And so we're gonna pick up reading here in Hebrews chapter nine. We're gonna begin in verse six, but what you'll see in verse one through five, um, 
the author of Hebrews is laying, what he's saying is uh, the construction of the tabernacle and the setting up of the tabernacle, the putting things in place, okay? So in, in verses one through five, he's talking about setting everything up. And then it kicks off here in verse six. And here's how it reads. It says, when these things are all in place, meaning the tabernacle and all its furnishings, the priest regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. The first room would be the holy place as we discussed last week. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people that the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. Talking about the tabernacle and ministry in the tabernacle, this passage specifically talks about the role of the high priest. There was a, a high priest in Israel in the, in the Jewish faith. And a couple of things about this high priest was, was he was one of, the, one of the, 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 the people of the nation of Jews. He was one of their brethren. He was just one of them. But he was called out from among his own brethren to function in the office of the high priest. And once a year, he was to go into the most holy place. But before he could go into the most holy place, he had to be qualified. He would have to be ceremonial, ceremonially washed. There was an anointing process. There was a dressing process. He would have to be prepared to, to enter in to the most holy place. And when he went in there, he was there to minister to the Lord on behalf of the people. So he was there ministering to the Lord on behalf of the people. He was filling the role of a priest. Now, in its simplest terms, here is the role of a priest. Please, please pay attention to this. A priest's job is to present the people to God or to represent the people to God and God to the people. So he was that mediator that said, okay, God, here's your people, and to the people, here's your God. So that's the role the high, the high priest would, would fulfill. And he would go bring the, the, the blood offering into the presence of God. He would bring it for his own sins. There, there, because he was sinful, he had to have his own sacrifice. And then he was there to bring the blood sacrifice for the people. That was the role of the high priest. But if you keep reading in Hebrews 9, and I encourage you, the book of Hebrews gives some beautiful pictures of temple and tabernacle worship and what it means for us today. So it's a great, a great book to study. If you keep reading in chapter 9, it introduces what Hebrews calls, a, calls the great high priest. It says we have this, I mean, we've had high priests before. But now we have the great high priest. And his name is what? We just sang songs about him. He's our great high priest. He, just like a regular high priest, was called out from among his brethren. 
God made flesh. See, the redemptive act had to be performed by a man. Man had lost it, so man had to redeem it. So Jesus came, the son of God, Emmanuel. He came as a man. He's one of us. But when he went into the holy place to minister, he didn't have to bring blood for his own covering because Jesus was sinless. I say this often, but you really, really need to have this as part of your foundational theology. Jesus was sinless. If he were not sinless, none of us would be born again here today. He had to be sinless. He didn't have some fling with Mary Magdalene. I don't care what Tom Hanks says. You're going to have to look back. Look back into your video, your DVDs, and you'll find what I'm talking about there. Jesus was sinless. So he didn't have to bring blood for his own sacrifice. He, he came into this thing qualified. See, a regular high priest had to be washed. Jesus didn't have to be washed. He was sinless, born of a virgin. He didn't have inherent sin. He never committed sin. He was the spotless blood, the lamb of God. And so he came in, but he did come in to offer blood. But in the same way he was ministering to the Lord, he was ministering on Jody's behalf. See, he wasn't offering blood for his mistakes. He was offering blood for Jody's mistakes. He came to minister to the Lord and he was doing it on our behalf. And he didn't bring the blood of some goat or some calf. He brought his own precious blood. In fact, his blood was so precious, so sufficient. The book of Hebrews tells us that it's one and done. The sacrifice, does, see, when, when the human high priest had to do it, it was an insufficient sacrifice. It was just enough covering for 365 days, and then it had to be done again. Thank God, when Jesus gave his life for us, it was one and done. That's the quality of the blood that he presented on my behalf. It's one and done. So Jesus is this great high priest he, he functioned in the role of a high priest. But there was something different about his ministry as a high priest. And we can find this in Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. Here's what it says. Because of the ministry of Jesus, it says this. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You see, where the Ark of the Covenant was in the most holy place, only the high priest could enter there. It was a closed off area. Only the high priest could get there. The commoners, the Jodies and Lorries and Larrys and Janies, we couldn't get there. It was this reverent place. But because the work of Jesus was so complete, the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom that would separate us. And all of a sudden, you and I, now we can come boldly into the presence of God. It's not a place to avoid. There's a welcome mat in front of the most holy place now where God is inviting us through the blood of Jesus, through the blood of the ultimate sacrifice, where we can have fellowship with the very presence of God. We have entrance. We can come boldly into the presence of our God. Can I tell you something? 
There was never a high priest that went boldly into that presence. Aside from Jesus, every other high priest didn't go in boldly. And you know what it says here in the verses that when we, when we go in, we find mercy in God's presence. If you were, if you were an Old Testament Jew, Jew, you would not see that place as a place of mercy. You would see the most holy place as a place of judgment. And if you were a high priest, you went in with your knees shaken. Because if there was any sin in that high priest, History tells us, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but history tells us that the priests probably wore bells on their robes. And standing outside of the most holy place were people listening. Because if those bells are still moving, dinging, he's still alive. History tells us that there was a rope tied around his foot. So if the bells stop ringing, you start pulling and pull his dead corpse out of there. And then how would you like to do this? Okay, next high priest. Oh, me? Come on now, how would you like to be the backup high priest on that day? Oh no. All right? So I mean, there was never a high priest that went boldly into there. You went into the presence of God with fear and trembling, hoping that it, that it was done right. But because of the work, the completion of the work of Jesus, our great high priest, now we come boldly into God's presence. We come boldly and we find mercy. Instead of judgment, we find mercy there. When you went into the most holy place, you would have, you would have seen the Ark of the Covenant. And... Um, the Ark of the Covenant was this box. The, the bottom of it was this box that was made of wood. And we, last, we learned last week, if you were paying attention, that in Bible symbolism, wood represents mankind or humanity. So there's this box made of wood, but it's overlaid with gold and gold represents or symbolizes what? Divinity. It's a picture of every born again believer. We're just human. We're just human, but we're covered. We're covered with divinity. I'm unrighteous, but I'm covered with a robe of righteousness. It's this, you see it? It's this picture of every believer. In other words, if you are a believer here today, that's a picture of you. You're overlaid with divinity. So it's just this box. And then on top of this box, though, the lid... The lid was made of solid gold. Let me just give you a note here. This is interesting to me, these kind of details. It wasn't just gold, it was beaten gold. What is that a picture of? Oh, come on, it's our wounded savior. It's beaten gold, no wood in this, it's solid gold. It's this picture of us believers, but we're covered, we're covered by the righteousness of our beaten savior. That place was called the mercy seat. That's where we find mercy. It's not in our own works. It's in the fact that someone was beaten for us. That was called the mercy seat. And the blood of the sacrifice was to be poured on the mercy seat. Again, Jewish history tells us that not a drop of blood ever hit that mercy seat, that it was actually consumed into the very presence of God as the blood of the sacrifice was poured out. 
The presence of God hovering there on the mercy seat. The place of mercy. On top of, on top of the lid, there were two cherub, the cherubim there, or two seraphim, two angels. And they were, they were facing each other, talking about unity, facing each other with their wings lifted up in praise. It's a picture of us, church. It's a picture of his body. We're called to walk in unity. We are called to know one another, to love one another as the body of Christ. We're called to walk in unity and we're called to live a life of worship to our God. And if you truly understand mercy, worship's not a big deal to you because it's right there on mercies, on the mercy seat where the angels lifted up their wings. And those of us who have truly understand that we are recipients of God's mercy, worship becomes a lifestyle for us. You don't have to talk me into worshiping. You don't have to sing the right song for me to worship. I understand who I was and I understand what the blood of Jesus has done for me. You don't have to talk me into worship. That was there. That, that's what was in the room. Inside the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, there were three different things. Hebrews tells us that there were three things, but I just want to focus on one this morning. Inside the Ark of the Covenant were the original stone tablets where, where the Ten Commandments were written. The law of God was placed in that box. The law of God was in there. It's interesting, there's a really quick, you know, the Bible tends to throw out these really quick stories where I, I can't wait to get to heaven because I'm gonna go, hey God, you need to give me some more information on this story. Anybody ever read anything like that? Like, I just need a little more. The book of 1 Samuel chapter six gives an account when the, the ark had been stolen by the Philistines and it was recovered and, um, and some of the Jews there were, were, were at the place where the ark came and some of them, curiosity just got the best of them. So you know what they did? They peeked. Remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Remember the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark when they opened, opened the Ark of the Covenant and, and everybody, you know, bolt of lightning shoots through all the Nazis. Remember that? It was a good day. Well, what you find in 1 Samuel chapter six, this is probably the story that, that Raiders of the Lost Ark was built off of. Um, the Jews there, they peeked in. They looked inside the ark. Curiosity got the best of them. And um, when they looked inside of the ark, a bunch of them died. What was in the ark killed them. Well, what was in the ark that would kill them? Can I give you my hypothesis? The law without the covering of grace brings death. See how the mercy seat sits over the law? The law without mercy brings death. They saw the law without mercy. That's Jody's theory. When we get to heaven, we'll figure out if Jody's right or not. The law. That's why here at Victory, we don't, just don't preach a bunch of rules rules and regulations on how to please God. Because of Jesus, we are already pleasing to God. Now, it is my joy to please God with the way I live because I'm already pleasing to him. 
So the box contained the law. Well, the word tells us that now as New Testament believers, he's written his law on our hearts. We don't need stone tablets sitting up here. His law's written here. You see how the Ark of the Covenant, it's a picture of you and I. It's a picture of his work in our life. So through the work of Jesus, all of a sudden, the, the veil's been torn. We can now have entrance into the most holy place and have fellowship with God. And, and certainly there are personal benefits to that. But I'll, I want to draw your attention to something quickly, is that the original, the, the original function of, of the Holy of Holies was, it was a place where priests would go minister to God. They would go on behalf of the people where the people were represented to God and God was represented to the people. So now that the veil is open and you and I have entrance, certainly there's personal benefits to that. But here's what I want to draw your attention to this morning, specifically dealing with our series, is that we are not just God's kids. If you're born again, you are a priest. You are a priest of the most high God. And so we go in, we can go into the presence of God, but we go in with the role as a priest. In other words, when I go into the presence of God, I go represent people to God. I go and I pray. I pray there. I pray for my lost relative. I pray for my lost neighbor. I pray for my lost coworker. I go and I bring people before the Lord. I present people before the Lord in my office as priest. But not only that, I have a responsibility to represent God to people. So I come out of the Holy of Holies, having, having presented people to God, and now I go about in the same way that Jesus did. See, that was the ministry of Jesus on the earth. He was ministering in the role of a priest. He's just bringing the character and the nature of God into the world. And he went around saying to people, this is your God. This is how he loves. This is how powerful he is. This is who he is. He represented God to the people. Church, that wasn't just Jesus's job. That's my job. That's your job. It's not just in this building. It's at our workplace. It's in our homes. It's in our neighborhoods. As priests, our job is to present God to the world. That's what God has called us to do. I don't think we understand our role in this thing. You see, this, this box we call the Ark of the Covenant, when it had to be moved, you just, you just didn't move it any kind of way. There was a specific way that this box was to be moved. There was actually these rings on the corners of it down at the bottom. And these poles would be stuck through those rings. Now, first of all, these poles were made of wood, which represents humanity, but they were covered in gold, which represents, it's a picture of believers. These poles were put in those rings. There was two poles. And then the priests would pick it up and those poles would be set on the priest's shoulders. The priest's job was to carry the presence of the Lord. Our job today, church, as priest is to carry the presence of God with us into a world that needs the presence of God. We are living stones. We are a part of this thing. It's our responsibility to carry his nature, carry his character, carry his power. 
into the world around us. This thing was meant to be carried on the shoulder of priests. If you're born again here today, you're a priest. As we wrap up this, this series, I want us to understand that we are not just casual spectators in this kingdom agenda that God has. He's called each one of us to be part of it. And may we have such a selfless spirit in us that we say yes to his kingdom agenda. We're a part of this thing. And because it's this time of year and we're wrapping up this series, I wanna draw your attention to someone in the Bible that I believe is a supreme example for us, for someone uh, besides Jesus, a human being that said yes to God, that gave their life as a living stone, a living sacrifice to God. I wanna show you someone who I believe is, is the supreme example of that. And we know her as this young woman named Mary. Bible says in the, in the book of Luke, the first chapter, introduces us to this young girl named Mary. Now, I hesitate, I always hesitate to mention her age because culturally it's a little shocking to us. But I'm gonna say it to you anyway, just get ready. It's possible that Mary was 12 years old when the angel appeared to her. She was most definitely a teenager. How many of you have a teenage daughter that you hesitate to give the keys of your car to? Think about that for a minute. A teenager. And this angel appears to Mary and he said, um, he said, Mary, you have, found, you have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God, God, you have found favor with God. For all you, gotta be careful. For you Catholics in the house, it didn't say that she earned favor with God. It said that she found favor with God. Mary was not infallible. She was not a deity. In fact, when you, when you put the story of Mary in context of everything we've been speaking for the last several weeks, you know, of course she had to be just a normal human. She was just a normal human being, a, just a normal young teenage girl. Somehow she had found grace in the eyes of the Lord. She wasn't infallible, she wasn't perfect, she wasn't deistic. And this angel says to her, uh, Mary, God's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for you that's going to bring it's going to bring eternal kingdom fruit. This plan that God has for you, this is a big deal. And, and your answer to this invitation is gonna produce fruit for thousands and millions of years, Mary. So you're gonna have a son. It's this invitation. I wanna invite you into God's kingdom agenda. There needs to be a son born and he needs to be human, and so we need a human for which, from which this son would come. Goes to Mary and says, this is what's gonna happen. And first thing Mary did was, was bring up her limitations. How could this happen? How many of you think if the angel appeared to you and told you some great thing, you would say, eh, not qualified? 
right? That's the first thing she did was just say, I, I, don't, I don't know about this. I'm not qualified. Listen to this, how beautiful this is though. His solution to it was this. Mary, it's not gonna be about you. It's gonna be about the Holy Spirit in you. The overshadowing of the Holy Spirit over a human life. The partnership between the Holy Spirit and a human. This is what's gonna make the difference. He goes on to tell her that her cousin Elizabeth is already pregnant and all this thing's already working in her life. And she's barren, she's been barren. So he says this, this famous thing, he said, with God, all things are possible. He says, go ahead, let's just go ahead and take out the possible, impossible out of the equation because God breaks the equation. A human in, in, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, it just changes everything. You see, are y'all following my train of thought here? Our series is a living stones. It's about us partnering, or God wanting us to partner with us, with him and his kingdom agenda. It's the same thing he did to this little woman named Mary. He went to her and gave her this invitation. Her answer was epic. Her answer is the answer that every one of us ought to have when the Lord comes calling for us and our partnership. Her answer was, be it unto me according to your word. Her answer was a resounding yes. How many of you have heard that story before? I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way though. Listen to me, church. You and I are sitting here today because Mary said yes. A 14-year-old girl, 12-year-old girl, she had no idea how far-reaching her yes would go. For all of eternity, we will be celebrating the yes of a young woman named Mary. Where does this all come down? It comes down to this, ready? Who knows what your yes can produce? As you and I say yes to the partnership of the Holy Spirit. Am I qualified? No. It does, it, may it seem impossible? Absolutely. It doesn't matter though, because when the Holy Spirit overshadows someone who has been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and, and carries his presence, listen to me church, we have no idea what kingdom fruit can be produced by someone who will just stand up and say, be it unto me according to your word. As we finish this series, what I want, what I want is a, a church full of people who will say yes. A church full of people who understand that God has invited him, us into his kingdom agenda. May we all say yes. Would you stand with me, please?